Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Chris Skies, and I met Chris through LinkedIn. He is a learning product manager at Cisco. And Chris, there's so much more to you. Will you please do a better job of introducing yourself? Sure. Happy to, Robin. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's funny. I, I kind of come from a, a content and writing background. That's what I loved growing up. That's what I studied in college. I studied English and political science. And so I started off in marketing, doing copywriting and web development. Really liked that. But I hit this point where I realized I'm not really good and I don't really enjoy selling things to people. I really want to like inform people and teach people and help them learn. So yeah, I got kind of, kind of, it was in the right place at the right time in 2007. And I joined a learning startup called Option 6. And it was just like a great place to learn and grow my skills. I came in as a content developer, got to work on project with instructional designers and media developers. So got a lot of experience across different industries, different modalities, types of learning, and really kind of trial by fire, just learned more about what we do in instructional design and learning design. And yeah, stuck with it. And, and in 2010, that startup was acquired by GP Strategies, which is a big kind of multinational training vendor. So got to work in the vendor space for another 10 years. So, you know, working with healthcare and finance and banking and tech companies to who wanted to outsource some portion of their learning and come to us to help support that. So uh, I was a content developer and then eventually became a team leader. So kind of leading people and helping them grow in their careers and upskill and develop as, as people and as professionals. And then after about 10 years of that, I thought, wow, I've been here for a decade. Like, that's a long time. Like, I should kind of look around and see like what else is out there. And I think, yeah, I started looking and, and kind of seeing what was out there. And about two years ago, that's when I decided the time is right. And I joined Cisco uh, at the Meraki division. So we focus on cloud-based networking, which is really awesome. And so for the past two years, I've been focused on product enablement, which is really like a fancy word for customer education. So those are our learners, right? Our customers who use our products. And our mission is really just to help them get up to speed as fast as possible, get value from our products, understand how to use them, what the use cases are, kind of like the big picture of you know what they can achieve with our products. So yeah, I've been here for two years and, and really loving it. So yeah, as a product manager, I think a lot about what our project teams are working on, what business stakeholders need us to do, right? So lots of kind of incoming requests for content development, and then thinking about prioritization. So what are we going to do next and why? And who am I going to have to say no to, right? And they're going to have to wait a little bit until we have more resources. So lots of the kind of that strategy and planning here and what I do now. Do you ever build certifications for your users on Cisco products? Or is it more just kind of this is how you put it into place and start using the tools? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. So Cisco is known for their certifications in the tech industry, and, and they do a great job on the Cisco side with those certs. 
So on the Meraki side, we have to be a little bit careful because we're a little bit different. So we do like certificates of completion. We do kind of help people have acknowledgement and recognition of what they've accomplished, but we're not doing like the technical certifications to the, to the level that Cisco is doing them. We're really more focused on our customers and our products. A lot of those Cisco certs are focused on just general people who want to grow their IT career. And we're really focused on customers. So a little bit different there, but we do, it's always great to get that recognition, right? Or that something tangible that shows that you've got something accomplished. So we do offer those to people. So, so interesting. So back in 2007, your transition into learning and development was starting out as a content creator. And so was it creating training content? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great as a content developer. I really owned kind of the, the storyboard, right? So once we had an initial design and design document that the instructional designer would create, it was kind of really taking this high level outline and starting to flesh that out, right? Of, okay, here's the topics we want to cover. Like, how are we going to approach those? Where can we use some scenarios? How do we get people engaged? So it was kind of this really tight knit collaboration with instructional designers, but I was kind of the lead writer in the content. So I really owned the wording and the quality of the content. And then especially as we got into reviews, right? So internal stakeholder reviews, SME reviews, I was kind of the person directing traffic and trying to making all of those changes, tracking everything, making sure all the issues that were logged were all updated. And then when we did e-learning, I loved this part where I got to basically build courses, right? So I was also kind of leading on, okay, we've got the storyboard, it's approved, stakeholders have signed off on it, we need to go build it. So I got to help kind of take the lead on that and then work with a media developer who did more of our visual design, graphics, videos, some coding as well. And so all of it kind of came together typically in a course at the end and then doing all the last minute beta reviews and testing and all the stakeholder feedback you get when something is is just about to go go live. So you've had a very long career at this point, right? You've been from an individual contributor to now you run. How big is your team? Yeah, you know, our department is it's almost 40 people. So we do have six team leaders, but it's great now because I'm I've been an individual contributor. I was a people manager, and now I'm back to being an individual contributor. So I don't have any direct reports myself, but I work with our really great leadership team here to kind of think about our strategy. And we have about 40 people who execute on that through different teams. Isn't it funny? Like they put you in an individual contributor role, but they give you a manager title. It is kind of funny. It's kind of like a project manager or a program manager or a product manager. There's all these kind of titles. And so I really think about... Yeah, like I'm managing our product and our learning development content. And so there's a lot that goes into that. And there's a lot of like influencing without authority, right? Because I work really closely with our teams, but they don't report to me. So I have to convince them, right, with ideas and data, right, and get them on board. I can't just tell them that they have to do something. So I kind of like that because it's a challenge, right? And I have to kind of bring people along on the ride instead of just kind of pointing them in a direction and telling them to go. So over your long career, Chris, what are some of the ways I'm sure that, you know, having a strong writing and marketing background was very beneficial to your learning and development career. What are some of the things that you've done along the way to upskill in our profession? Yeah, I, I really run the gamut. You know, I've uh, I've been to conferences, right? So some of the big dev learn conferences and like engage with people and gone to sessions. I've done tons of reading. I'm a reader. I, I love to read and write. So I've read so many books and just learned from other people and their experiences. But 
You know, I would say the biggest thing I've done is really just like stretch projects. That has been such a big deal for me is that every role I've been in, I've always thought, like, what do I really enjoy? And what would I like to do more of? And then I just went to my manager and said, hey, I really like coding in HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Like, I want to learn more of that. And I've had some great managers over the years who are always willing to support me in that. And so when I was kind of vocal about what I wanted and what I wanted to learn and upskill, they would keep that in mind. And then they would find these stretch projects like, oh, you know, we need someone to design a new well, you know, web framework or we need someone to work on responsive design or we need someone to work on documentation for our coding and approach to building e-learning. And so I would always kind of take those projects on as side projects, learn, right? And then I had the skills and then I can roll that into my next position. So that's been a big one for me is that kind of like that deliberate practice, right? Going out and like getting right at the edge of your comfort zone where you're not quite sure what you're doing, but you know, that's what the stretch projects are great for. And so many of those stretch projects led to my next role, right? Because I was able to kind of build those skills, kind of demonstrate that I had the skills. And then once you start doing that, people around you, they realize, oh, this person can do this. He can do this. So, you know, they start to find those projects and then you kind of have this organic progression into that next role or position. I love what you said about how I had to figure out what I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's, that has to be step one, right? Yeah. To figure out what it is that you want. And and so many times I'll, I'll talk to students and I'll be like, what is it that you want? And sometimes, sometimes they just have a hard time even identifying what it is that they want. And so it's interesting. That's your first step, right? Is to identify what you want and then to stretch yourself and then start doing it. And then now you've demonstrated that you can do it, which leads to more projects in that area. If you're talking to somebody, Chris, who is trying to enter this field, what are some of the things that you encourage them to do right now, right? Without the opportunity to get experience in a job, what are some of the things that you share about how you upscale? You've talked about reading and what are some of those other things? Yeah. You know, a big, big part of it is just mindset, you know, and one of the things that's helped me is just being curious. I think being curious is so important for like upskilling and learning new things, but also like being in education or learning, right? It's like, what does this mean? And how does this work? And like, how can I break this down? And like keeping that sense of curiosity, I think is so important. And so, and yeah, it's really, and it's getting clear on what you want, right? So, so, you know, trying things out, like it's great to just try these projects, right? So go out and, you know, I know software can be expensive, so you don't necessarily need to think about, oh, I need to build a storyline course, but you know, think about something that you've struggled with and think, how would I break this down, this thing I learned and present that to other people? So go out and create a design document. I mean, just, you know, you can find templates online for free and and say, how would I design this? Pick an audience and like go through that mental exercise and like scope that out and figure out like, what are the questions I would ask? What would I, what are the inputs I would need? Right. And just kind of like think through that and and how you would build something and, and I've done a lot of that and, and just, you know, doing the research. And then, you know, there's so many things out there where you can just, you can build, right? So find something you know about, and then think about how would I break this down and teach other people about that? And just like practice that and maybe pull someone in, you know, pull in a child or a spouse or someone, a friend and break it down for them and see what they say. And uh, I, I think that's great. That's a great way to just kind of approach it and, and get engaged with something you both enjoy topically, but also like be curious about, how you would do things and like kind of practicing that way. 
Yeah. And then of course the other half of deliberate practice is once you go and you figure out and you do go get feedback from somebody who is an expert at what it is that you are practicing. So have, do you hire instructional designers or do you have insights on kind of what people are looking for maybe in the companies and roles that you've worked at? Sure. So, you know, when I was a team leader, I was very actively involved in hiring. And so I did a lot of interviewing and hiring. And I would say the last two years has been more of a panelist. So I haven't been as active as a hiring manager, but I've been active on panels, right? So when we bring in candidates, we hired two instructional designers in uh, 2022. So I got to be on the panel, interview them and like go, go through that process. So yeah, it's really interesting to see it from both sides, right? As a as a you know candidate and as an interview and, and hiring manager. You know, I guess the one thing I would say about that is, is like we said earlier, get clear on what you want, right? And so do your research and, and really kind of understand what's gonna drive you and what's gonna make you happy. And, and that will help you narrow down the search. I think generally the more you can narrow down and focus in on what you want, like fewer applications for a better alignment is going to yield better results than this very wide search where you're sending lots of applications, lots of effort, but getting very little in return. It just doesn't feel good. And I kind of learned that the hard way myself when I came to Cisco is I started by applying very broadly and then quickly realized I really have to narrow my search to what I'm really good at because that's where I was getting the interest back from those companies. So I would focus on that. And I guess the second thing I would say with the job description is, you know, interviewing is kind of like an open book test, right? Like the job description is the answer key, right? A well-written job description, it will tell you everything that the interviewers are looking for is in that job description. And if you're coming from an education background, you can think of it as how do you assess people? How do you assess your students? Well, a lot of times you're going to have a rubric, right? So a lot of times hiring teams will have some kind of rubric and they're looking for skills and those skills are outlined in the job description, right? So think about it from that perspective, go through, find out those skills that you know are repeated multiple times in different ways and think about how would I assess these skills? And then think about how would I assess my skills and how do I communicate that? And I think that's a good way to kind of get into the, the mental framework that your interviewers are using to assess you when you get into interviews. I love it. Is there anything else that you have seen work really well in our field? I think it's so interesting that a lot of times, sometimes in instructional design, we spend so much time training and upskilling others that we neglect our own professional development. And so I know you've mentioned stretch projects and getting clear on what you want. What are some of the other ways that you've seen other people or in the field take upskilling seriously? Yeah, it kind of depends. If you're in a role right now, I, I always want to look for opportunities to, to kind of work within that, right? And so lots of companies have great like education programs or L&D budgets. And I think a lot of time as L&D people, we forget to do that for ourselves, right? Like we create the learning and we think, well, we don't, we don't need to take these courses. But I always like going out and taking courses because I always have this meta perspective of I'm looking at the content and I'm like trying to learn the topic, but I'm like thinking, well, why did they put the objectives like this? Or why did they design this interactive this way? Or why did they format the video this way? Right. So I like going through and doing uh, courses and upskilling because I can learn new things, but I can also like see what other people are doing. And I think that is so important to see 
what learning other people are putting out there and what that looks like. So, so go out and find free courses. There are lots of them out there. And instead of just focusing on, okay, I'm just going to, you know, absorb this content, like do that analysis as you go through the course. Like, why is this like this? Why did they put this piece here? Why did they engage me here with this quiz? Like, what were they thinking? And I love going through and kind of reverse engineering that way to try to like get those insights. It goes back to being curious too, isn't it? Yeah. Why did they do this and why do they do that? And yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I not only do I run a school, but I I probably buy more online courses than than anybody I know. <laughs> Cause they are. They're so much fun. You can learn and you can really just kind of see like all the decisions, the design decisions that they made along the way. Yeah. And you know, I can share an example. I took a course recently I really enjoyed they had little kind of like, they had scenarios, right? So they had these situations they would put you in and then they would ask you, okay, if you're in this situation, maybe with a coworker and the coworker says this, how would you respond? And you, they gave you a multiple choice answer and you selected it. And then when you selected it, they showed you in the results, the percentages for how everyone else who had taken that course, how they had responded, right? So you got to see kind of this like, instant kind of feedback model of not just like, oh, you know, A is correct or B is correct, but you got to see like, okay, like 67% of people chose C in this situation. And it was really cool to like compare yourself to your peers. And I was like really kind of blown away because I was immediately thinking, wow, there's a lot that went into this, right? Because they're capturing that data. They've got that stored somewhere on an LMS or a record system, right? And then they're feeding that back to me in real time as I take the course. And so it was like really cool and really inspiring to think about, oh, this is a great way to like engage people, but like get you kind of relating to your peers and what your peers are doing and thinking in a certain situation. Oh, I know. As soon as you mentioned it, Chris, I started thinking like, I wonder what technology they used. What uh-huh. was their tech stack to build this? Because <laughs> I would like to see that too, right? Because it also lets you know, like, you're not alone and why you think certain ways or like, it's normal for you to think this is the right choice for the scenario. Yeah. 60% of you agree, but whatever that feedback is. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Lots of inspiration can come out of just upskilling as well, especially for our, our field. Yeah. And I, I really have been interested the last few years in like the social learning component, because I think that that's how so many humans just naturally learn, right? Is like from the people around them and the people they interact with. And sometimes I think like, well, how did people learn on the job before we had computers, right? And it's like, well, they turned to the person next to them, right? And asked a question or watched that person do it. And then they did it. So it's like, how can we kind of build those connections, whether you're in a course or in an instructor led event or something that's blended? It's like, how do we get people not just like talking to an instructor, which is kind of like top down, right? But how do we get peers talking to each other, like parallel connections, talking and sharing their stories and learning from each other and not just learning from whoever's running the session or building the course. And so I've really been thinking more and more about the social learning and like, how do we learn from our peers and engage with our peers and really get inspired that way? I'm obsessed with social learning. I mean, it's <laughs> it's built into my entire program. And what's so interesting is like even apprenticeship models, right? You talk about like how people learn before. I mean, those have been around forever. I mean, it used to be you had to get an apprenticeship under um, mm-hmm. certain people in order to go into that trade. Yeah. Even in education as well. You know, yeah. even quoted like Plato was my teacher and <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. 
And even, I, you know, I recently posted how I took a few years off on a sabbatical and, and went out and did farming for a couple of years. And I learned a ton about learning and training based on that experience. And it was an apprenticeship. And a lot of the farms had this motto where they would say, okay, you watch me do it. And then I watch you do it and give you feedback. And then the third time you do it on your own, right? And that was the learning model. And so I just love that kind of like how simple and effective that was. And it wasn't based in some grand theory, but it was just practical and worked. And I thought, yeah, that's that's like a real world example of like on the job training right there. That's the living practice, like yeah. it, very simply. And yeah. so a lot of people listening to this, Chris, they want to become instructional designers or they're, they're on their journey. And so I know you had your own unique one and it was back in 2007. But you're still in it. You're still in learning and development. You've been on the hiring panel and and you work with a lot of instructional designers. What is your best and final advice that you'd give those that want to become an idol? Yeah, I think it would just be stay true to yourself. Really think about what you want. I know this is a theme that has come up over and over again today, but really think about what you want and what drives you. And I think if you pursue that, eventually you will find success, right? And so when you can find that intersection of like what you enjoy doing and what you're good at, and if that is instructional design, like eventually if you keep pursuing it and you're good at it and you enjoy it, like even if you have some setbacks, you're going to eventually stick with it and find success. So I think that's kind of the mindset piece. And then you know, practically, too, I would say there are a lot of ways you can, you know, apply your instructional design skills. For instance, we have a project manager on our team who is amazing. She's awesome. She has a background in instructional design. And you know what? She decided, I like project management, right? And so just because you're upskilling as an instructional designer doesn't mean you have to have that one title. There's lots of other titles and opportunities to apply those skills in lots of different positions. So, you know, don't get too hung up on a specific title, especially when you're job searching, because you'll find that when you start getting these skills of, you know, doing analysis and, and kind of consulting and being critical of, you know, how, how things work and how people learn and start to really think about that, like you can apply that in a lot of different ways. And I know a lot of people may think, I have to find an instructional design job, but there's so many other options out there, right? Even as content developers there are places you can start and work toward an instructional design job because learning on the job really is priceless and getting into projects with clients and stakeholders and SMEs, that is, that's what's going to help move you forward. And if you have to start as a content developer or as a project manager or somewhere kind of off adjacent to, uh, to IDs and then move into an ID role, lots of people have done it that way. And that's a totally viable path. Absolutely. That is great advice. So Chris, where can people find you if they want to follow you and just keep in touch? Yeah. LinkedIn is the best place. I'm easy to find there. I post regularly, post about kind of work and some of the things I'm working on, some of the things I'm thinking about and just some of my experiences. So yeah, reach out to me there. I'd be happy to connect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You've been an, a wonderful guest. No, this is great. Thanks for having me, Robin. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer, an online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. 
Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.